recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of the SG Fitness Podcast that I've also put live on Facebook, which is very exciting. And Ruth, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really good. So I was just in the middle of like typing and then I was like, oh, podcast time. Um, but yeah, no, I'm here. I'm very happy to be here. Knee, knee deep in check-ins absolutely they are coming in thick and fast now so I am just I was you know mid rhythm just getting into my flow nice Andy how are you still alive always a bonus well there you go that kind of positivity Positivity. okay we do have a ridiculous amount of amazing questions actually so let's go okay how do how do we say how do we decide we're too ill to try? I know that when I'm ill, I should stop and look after myself, but never quite sure if pushing through it will help me fix it or make it worse. Any hints and tips on knowing? Thank you. P.S. Do you do non-negotiables as much as physically possible when ill? Ill in this case being a very bad head cold. This is such a good question because it is actually quite hard. And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know until you try. And then you're like, oh, in hindsight, that was a very bad idea. And there is like the whole saying of like, if it's above the neck or below the neck, then you should or shouldn't train and things. Honestly, I think sometimes I would speak to your coach and I've had this from one-to-ones this week of just being like, I really don't feel well. And I'm like, don't train. And you just need somebody else to say it. And they're like, I knew you'd say that. I just needed you to tell me that. So I think there's there's that but you you're often like there isn't like a tick box like yes you should no you shouldn't part of it I think is knowing yourself for example with that client I know them so well this is the first time in like over a year that they've missed a session I'm like you're not well if you're Mm. thinking about not training you're not well but if you know yourself to be someone who does tend to come up with quite a lot of excuses then it, it might be that you do need to go to the gym I think the fact that she's put it on here though means that she's somebody that probably doesn't make the excuses I kind of think when you're asking that question you're somebody that really wants to try and do it um I find the whole um below the neck thing quite confusing I say confusing because I've I followed that rule rigidly years and years ago and made myself very ill because like oh like really ill <laughs> and uh, no I I went running I had strep throat yeah and um but it did I didn't have a chesty thing, did I? So I didn't know I had strep throat either. But anyway, I got an autoimmune condition and ended up in hospital. So. But um, but the thing that I kind of think is that it's body aches and chills and things like that as well. It's not just like I haven't got a chesty cough, so I'm okay to run. It's I'm actually feeling quite weak. I'm feeling run down. And that means it's all over your body. So, yeah, listen to you. I also think on this note, and partly because it's fresh in my head, because we just had um, Greg Slater on EIQ talking about um, basically programming. But one of the things that we discussed a lot is the amount of volume that you need to do. And I just, I know I talk about this all the time with like law of diminishing returns, but it just like reignited for me. Honestly, you, you really don't need to train more than three times a week. And you really don't need to do probably as much as what you think like you're probably getting you know the biggest bang from your buck from the first sort of 30 minutes of exercise that you do the, the three times a week over and above that I'm not saying and this is where people get confused you do get better results doing more if you can recover from it but the the benefit is, is like way reduced so it's not like if you're doing three sessions a week and you're like I'm gonna double that you're not gonna get double the results if anything some people might get less results because they're overtraining at that point and they're not recovering particularly well and I think sometimes that reduces like the the mental barrier for people of like oh I'm not well actually having an extra rest day would probably be really good for you even if technically you could have squeezed in a session probably better to err on the side of caution and have a bit of a rest yeah I'm getting that with people that are very tired at the moment. If people have bad, you know, menopausal women, if they've had bad night's sleep, not knowing if being very tired is a place to push on. Because sometimes you can feel better for it and sometimes you don't. And like you said, it's some, it's a case of that maybe committing is, to something. 
it's such a great example of the the perimenopausal or menopausal women that we work with there is so there's two main reasons that you're going to struggle to recover from exercise one sleep disturbances which are so common it like as one of the most common side effects of perimenopause that's going to impact how much exercise you can recover from because you do a lot of your recovery while you're sleeping the second is lower estrogen levels so if you're not on hrt then you're going to find it harder to recover from exercise so again that's going to impact how much exercise you can do and make use of that exercise it might be a case of reducing training volume when you do that the important thing and all the research is kind of leading to this now as well training volume isn't just important as in how much you do but it's also the intensity so you really want to be pushing yourself to failure on those last couple of reps like and and really pushing yourself on that last set or whatever you'd be better doing that like I I would this is a, a statement and a half but I think you'd probably get better results doing two sets with one to absolute failure than you would doing four sets even though the four sets might give you more volume if you're not getting like pushing yourself to muscular fatigue agreed <laughs> right, right. Shall, I, shall I go on crack on yeah right next question i'm working on finding the balance between under and over restriction of indulgent foods chocolate is my pup yes being on this program has helped me to recognize that when i under restrict chocolate it doesn't taste that good while the cravings for it stay the same sometimes even increase can you talk through the typical signs that someone might be over restricting their pup yes foods I'm not referring to being over-restrictive of calories, i.e. under-fueling. My question is more around choosing indulgent foods and treats from a psychological standpoint. And given that over-restriction is subjective slash perceived, how is it best to approach it? I mean, great question. Quite philosophical. <laughs> I know. But, but she's right in that over-restriction is perceived. Some people might have my diet and feel really restricted on it some people might have my diet and feel completely flexible on it so it's kind of up to the individual I don't think anyone can say if you're having negative side effects to it I also think it depends on how you're saying like no or essentially how you're restricting yourself so if you're saying I'm choosing not to have that chocolate because it doesn't align with my goals I'm going to enjoy it once a week on the weekend whatever and have like my favorite thing and by saying no to having it every night, I'm actually saying yes to finishing the week closer to my goals, which is what I really care about, right? Now that choice is self-love as opposed to what most people say is like, kind of like self-hate of like, you don't deserve the chocolate or you shouldn't have it, or I'm saying no, it's a, it's a negative thing. If you flip it around as actually saying no to this means saying yes to ending today closer to my goals, that's a much more positive way to look at it. And you'll feel far less restricted if you do it that way yeah yeah agreed and this is where again so my son's just bought me a drink thank oh, you uh, <laughs> it's great when they're old enough to make one for you um yeah this is where that like we were talking the other day with Christmas and having those sharing bowls instead of a puck yes when actually they're probably going to result in being higher in calories just by picking all the time than having one big bit of cake of something you really like um but I don't I can't yeah it's hard to know individually isn't it well Andy says this a lot but like adult yourself a little bit I think when you take the emotion out of what a lot of people tie to diet and you put it in different contexts like if you had 100 pounds to spend this week what do you want to spend it on and it's really not that different because it's like you've got a calorie allowance to quote unquote spend this week right some of that's taken up by your essentials like getting in your protein like fueling yourself well like getting in your fruit and veg all this kind of stuff and then you've got like a bit left for how you choose you want to spend that right much like you might have 100 pounds but some of that's going to go on a food bill or petrol or you know the, the kind of boring stuff and then you've got oh hey look there's 25 pounds left over for whatever I want to do with it and that's up to you but it, it like that that's kind of just like that that's just how life works right you don't have an unlimited amount of money you don't have an unlimited amount of calories to spend yeah no I agree and I think the other thing is that if you're never having those things she's right though if you kind of see them as bad food and that is where that whole kind of permission to eat and then it goes into that 
eating maybe too much of it in that window. So yeah, not making them banned. Andy's just nodding. <laughs> Nothing else to add. <laughs> I think it, it does come back to the the unconditional permission to eat, but understanding that that doesn't mean eat everything. It's like you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. You can also spend all your money whenever you want, whatever you want. But both of them have consequences. So you have to also accept that there'll be consequences to that as well. I would also probably tighten up your puck, yes, rather than just all of chocolate uh, to a type of chocolate or one thing of chocolate rather than the whole thing. Because then, then you're giving yourself a puck, yes, to basically anything. Like you could, if you see it, you can eat it. Like that's not how this works. This is that's not adult, and that's 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 basically using a shotgun. It's basically using a shotgun to blow a door open. Like you, the spray on that's going to be massive. So tighten up your puck, yes. Your puck, yes, is all of chocolate. It's a bar of chocolate, one type, like not 72 different ones, because you're going to pass one of them every single day. That's the thing. For me, a puck yes is something that I don't have in the house. It's something that I have to go and actively choose to get. So it's normally like there's a really nice bakers and they do a really nice bun. And like I can't get there very often. But when I do, I'm having one and I know it's coming and I look forward to it. That is a puck yes. It's not something That's I always have. I think there's another question or maybe I answered it in the group with someone who's like, what do you do if everything's a puck yes? I think I was quite brutal. I was like, raise your standards. Yeah, it's not. Was that last week? <laughs> was that last week? Yeah, like not everyone's, not everything is a a puck yes. No. You know, it's like well, you know, then then raise that. You might like quite fancy everything, but you yeah. wouldn't. It's like dating. Like you might like quite fancy people, but you, you're not going to marry everyone. No. I would hope. No, I like a cookie, but I wouldn't say it's my puck yes because. I, I just like it. I can have it whenever if I wanted it, but it's not a fuck yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm going to shut that door in a second because I can hear that they've left it open. Right. Um. Next question. One of my concerns is that I am really focused at the moment and I'm worried that this will go back to old habits. How do I mitigate against this? Advice welcome. Andy, do you want to start? Um, dropping habits or something that, need constant work so you can to break up to break a habit to break a bad habit takes time to build a habit takes time so realize that you're going to constantly have to work and this is never going to be easy it's going to get more straightforward and you'll understand it better but it's never going to stop you're never going to have you're never going to be able to stop working to to get where you need to be so i think that's always kind of the first thing that you have to try to get past is that that this any form of process where you whether it's fat loss whether it's building muscles going to take time it's always going to be work like even maintenance probably for me maintenance is like the hardest one to work at because you need to put the most work into that and i think everybody thinks that when they get to the end of the journey then it stops and everything's easy and it's all like plain sailing it's not that's when the work actually starts to happen um something there was something popped up and checking i did think yesterday actually and it's about things like motivation as well like we have to realize that motivation doesn't get you started motivation is like the end product it's the discipline to be able to get there and that gets that's about putting these habits in place and when you get to that end point or where you believe the end point is is renegotiating where your goals and where your values lie and working out what's next and continuing to work towards it. It never gets easy. It never, it, it, there's never a point where you stop working. You've got to keep doing it. It's the same thing as like your day job. Like you, there's a Saturday, Sunday might be your days off, but you're going to have to keep continuously working. So that's where it goes. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there'll always be an element of effort and some days it will feel harder than others. And some days yeah. you'll be really motivated and other days you won't. And motivation is quite flaky. So you can't just rely on that to drive you all the time. But what I will say about habits is, and this kind of depends on like your starting point and things, but it does become easier once they're ingrained. Like it, it doesn't mean that it takes no effort for me to go to the gym, but it's so within my daily structure that it's not as much effort as forming that new habit so forming the new habit is the hard part so if you're thinking at the moment oh my god I'm having to work really hard for this and 
like is it always going to be this hard it's not always going to be this hard but what you'll probably find is there'll be new challenges or new hurdles or periods where it is a little bit harder or you have lower motivation like generally at the moment people's motivation is relatively low and I would try and reframe that and see it as a bit of a challenge of like well this is when most people would give up but if you're on commit to six or commit to 42 you're not most people by definition right so that's what makes you stand out that's what makes you different that's what puts you above average that's what gives you results that other people aren't going to get and sometimes when I'm like oh I can't be bothered to go to the gym or can't be bothered to get my steps in or can't be bothered to I don't know write a sub stack this week whatever it is I'm trying to do I'm like this is when the vast majority of people give up that's like and that's when I have to at least do my non-negotiable because that's what's going to put me above average and then it's about bringing up your quote-unquote bad days as well one one final thing I'll say on this before I pass it over to Ruth is that it does sound like you're kind of almost talking yourself into failure now I understand that because most people who come to us have dieted before and have quote-unquote failed before right like they've tried a million different things so in your head you're like well I have proof that every single time I've tried this it's not worked out so there is always that element, which is why exactly why you're asking this question probably is I've done it before and and I started well, but then something happened and, and I fell off track. Just make sure that you're promising yourself that this time, if that does happen, you're not going to give up. You're going to reach out. You're going to ask for help. You're going to reset. You're going to change things if they need to be changed, but you're not going to give up because then you do end up starting again. And I think it, it's it's kind of questioning that, that, this time is going to be different and it can become very self-fulfilling if you think well you know one little slip up and then you're like oh, this always happens and you catastrophize it and then you do end up giving up and you're like wow this is like every other time that I've tried what needs to be different this time is that that doesn't happen that you reach out that you speak to your coach and that we help you get back on track yeah I was going to say about it often coming from old dieting patterns where they see it as being on a diet or off a diet um, and then they go quite hard at the beginning and they're like perfect and then they find that quite hard to maintain so rather than just go oh I've got a range of calories so I'm going to eat at the upper end of the range and actually I've got some non-negotiables maybe I've set those quite high but I'm just going to hit those rather than doing that they go that's it and give up so on those days where you feel like giving up I would slip back to those non-negotiable ends of the ranges and make it a little bit easier on yourself do something that's it's exactly why we set ranges and it's exactly why they're relatively broad if you honestly tick the boxes for 42 days six weeks within your range targets you will be amazed at the results that you get and you'll be amazed at the confidence that you build in yourself from doing that from being like I'm going to do this thing and even on the days I can't be perfect, I'm still going to hit my 8,000 steps or whatever your non-negotiable is. Because remember that they should be very achievable for you, way below what your optimal targets are. And then um, back to kind of like the it, like if you were unwell or something, don't set yourself like unrealistic expectations. If you're like, oh, I was really, you know, I, I had a migraine last week. I wasn't like, I'm still going to hit my non-negotiable steps. But I also wouldn't like, beat myself up about being human and then thinking well you know I said in my head I was going to stay within these range targets for six weeks now I've ruined it three weeks in I've not like I've not hit one day if there's a legitimate reason you know like I think the question of like did I genuinely try my best today and and if the answer is yes then great and it doesn't matter what has happened because you know life happens and your kids get ill or you get ill or the bus is broken or blah 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 you know if stuff gets in the way stuff gets in the way but if you can say I genuinely tried my best today and we've spoken about this recently but I really like the kind of frame of like your best looks different every day you're 100% looks different every day some days 100% is hitting your 12,000 steps some days 100% is doing 4,000 steps because you've not been particularly well, but you still got out for a little 10 minute walk. It always looks slightly different. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Next, ready? This one's for you, Emma. It says, hi, Emma. Thanks for your help and insight on thyroid issues. I had one point I'm still curious on. I know that thyroid issues can impact weight loss slash gain. And I wondered what the mechanism was. 
I know that generally everything is an energy balance issue. However, in this case, is it like menopause where it slows down, makes things harder, or is it a biological thing? Thanks. So it's, if you have um, hypothyroidism, as in low thyroid levels, your basal metabolic rate can be impacted. So those are the calories that you burn just at rest. So that means that you might burn less calories than you would if you didn't have low thyroid. The the other issue, the other impact is behavioral. So you'll also be very tired if that's not um, medicated well, which means that you're probably going to move less, which means you're probably going to expend less energy. So it's not that it defies calorie balance. Like you're totally right. It still comes back to calorie balance, like with everything when it comes to fat loss. Um, but yeah, there, there is the extra element of it. It can impact your base metabolic rate. Most people kind of hear that and freak out and think, oh my God, I'm going to have to drop my calories really low. If it was having a, and I know that I know this individual and who we're talking about. So yours are slightly low to the point that at the moment, if I remember correctly, you're not being medicated, which means that it's, it's very unlikely to have a huge impact on your basal metabolic rate. And if you had very low levels, then you would be given thyroxine to find the right the right um, dose for you. Now, the other thing about this is it's not quite as simple, unfortunately, much like HRT of being like, oh, you've got low thyroid levels. Here, take this pill, now you're fixed. It sometimes takes a while to figure out exactly how much of that medication that you need. And then annoyingly, life changes and your body changes and adjusts. And sometimes you end up needing a slightly different dose. So there is always this, continuous like um monitoring of how much you need and when your dose is off you can feel quite rubbish again impacts your behaviors impacts your energy levels might impact your sleep and your mood which will impact your food choices as well so it still comes back to energy balance but there are lots of considerations much like with perimenopausal women that we work with like it, it is still calories in calories out it's just there's way more things that can make that way harder to do right and and the thing is, when people say that, I think sometimes there's this, um, like, or, almost like it's like jarring, like, no, but it is harder. And, oh, oh, it's 100% harder, for sure. Like, anyone who has even struggled with sleep will realize it's much harder when you've not been sleeping. And that's only one of the potential side effects. Um, so it's not, it's not that it's not harder, it's that the mechanism is the same. It's just we might need to take a slightly different approach and support you in a slightly different way, but it would still be based off your lived experience, not, oh, perimenopausal, put you in this box on these calories, or, oh, got a thyroid problem, this is what you need to do. It's always coaching and it's always feedback and us adjusting things as you go. Yeah, I think you covered that well. Um, shall I move on? Um, right, next. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? I work out at 5.30 a.m., I drink coffee with milk before and after, sometimes also have a clear, clear way, but often don't eat again until 9 a.m.-ish. I eat my dinner late, like 8 p.m., so if I count the milk and the coffee, I'm not strictly fasting for long enough. And she's, um, she's put that in quotation marks. I hear fasting is super good for you, but it's bad for women due to cortisol, but we should eat protein soon after workouts, blah, blah, blah. She's written that, that's not me saying that. Yeah. I'm happy to continue my routine blah, blah, blah. just in case people think I've been really rude I'm happy to continue my routine but often waver when I hear something else about how intermittent fasting is good for you this is a big thing at the moment isn't there because there's that book as well that people are following indeed um yeah I think this is such a good question because it, within the question it raises such good points of like it's meant to be really good not if you're a woman but then you should definitely do this, but definitely don't do that. And they all like kind of contradict each other. I think one of the things I want to hammer home to people that are asking about fasting is there are, there's loads of really interesting research on it with loads of health benefits, but what they've not done. And when they do do this, they, they find that there are similar benefits between the two is often what they don't look at is just caloric restriction. So essentially what they're saying is, oh my God, when you take this, overweight person and you fast them and they lose fat what happens is their blood glucose levels are better their lipids are better they've got more energy you know like they get all the benefits of fat loss 
it must be the fasting. And it's like, no, it's the calorie restriction. Same as with in the animal models as well. Like when you compare it to caloric restriction, it's like, yeah, you can list all these amazing benefits, but you also get that from reducing your calories in a different way. So you don't need to fast. It sounds like what you're doing, if what you're doing is working for you, I don't, I don't see any problem in that. I mean, some people call it a fast if it's 12 hours onward, upwards. And I would say that's like having dinner, sleeping and having breakfast. So it doesn't, or I, we don't necessarily need to label it as a fast. It's just letting your digestion have a bit of a rest overnight. I fast every night for at least. <laughs> yeah, I, I fast every awesome. day actually. Um, yeah. Until, you know, about nine when I have breakfast. So yeah. And what she's saying there, I mean, I wouldn't, at 5.30am, I wouldn't be getting up and having breakfast before a workout. Like that would feel too early for me. So I'd probably be doing that, what she's doing anyway. Too early, yeah. but, but also, for me, I think one, I wouldn't want to eat that early. But the, the second thing is, you, when you start eating that early, your day's long as hell to stay within your calories, especially is it like, you know, not many women can eat that many calories unless you're, you're doing a lot of, exercise or you're you're a very like large woman um we just don't need that many which means that you know, if you're starting eating at five in the morning and finishing and, at eight and finishing it like that's a it's a big spread to not be really hungry throughout the whole day basically yeah agreed mm. right oh somebody else has said they'd love to know about they've had a 24-hour fast a week is meant to be great instead of fasting every day but is fasting really good? Anyway, I think you've kind of covered that. You don't need to fast. Yeah, I, I think so. the other thing to, to add on that is like a lot of the time now, I can't remember if this, if it was this person or somebody else, but someone was recommending fasting to perimenopausal women, like as a blanket statement. And I was like, how ridiculous. Like we know that rates of binge eating go up during perimenopause. We know that if you've previously struggled with an eating disorder or eating disorder-like tendencies or binge eating, it's way more likely to reoccur when you're struggling with fluctuating hormones. Much like we know that things like ADHD often get worse during that time as well, because there's loads more pressure on you and stuff's going on in your body that you're not in full control of. And it, you know, like a lot of things can come to the surface. Why on earth would you add on do you know what? I'm I'm going to force myself to fast. Now, if you just like fasting and you find that's a nice way for you to manage your calories, that's completely different than being like, I need to do this, even though I've struggled with binge eating. Like probably the worst thing that you could possibly do if you have binge eating tendencies is to fast for 24 hours. Yeah. What about, have you heard of the book I briefly mentioned where people are fasting for different lengths of time depending on where they are in their cycle and to me that just seems like oh have you have you heard of it it's a book it's I think it's called fast like a girl or something like that and it's dependent on you're reading it no no I've I've got I've had clients and people that have told me about it that they've heard of this book and wondered what I thought no and um I was the best that's the best reaction I've ever heard of no no I'm not not reading it um but again in the same way that you were saying there I was like it sounds really complicated it's like not only are you having to keep an eye on um when your cycle is which is always a good thing to do anyway but it's like okay right today I'm allowed to fast for this long and today I shouldn't fast because I'm in this stage of my cycle and I'm like that takes all of the kind of feeling away Getting people into a process where they may be doing, having to put in stuff like exercise, steps, all this stuff, to then add that on top, the confusion that that must cause for people is, or not even that, we've seen how many people get overwhelmed at the start of like a simple process, like what we're doing with Commit 42 or previously with Commit to 6. You've seen the overwhelm that a lot of people get with that stuff. Imagine then chucking that on top of them. It's like just chucking petrol on a fire. Good luck with that. Like the overwhelm, they're going to end up melt, like their brains will melt. That'll be it. It's done. So like the, the attrition level of failure on these things must be so high just because of the amount of the amount of pressure that you're putting people under to try to track every single little fluctuation, every single thing. It must be so tough, tough to try to do. But I, it's it's also, you understand why. Good. 
because they're desperate as in they they yeah. got to a point where they've been trying on their own and really struggling and they're desperate and the other thing is it it probably gets results quite quickly at the beginning because they're suddenly restricting calories so they're like it works it's brilliant it works I've, I've been so much of it is psychology and like Andy's saying it probably overwhelmed people but if you completely buy into it now some of it's very clever marketing right so the more I learn about marketing more for the AFM side I'm like wow I can see what what people are doing here so basically what they've done there is they've created something new the reason that you've not lost weight before is because you weren't fasting around your cycle that's something new that also means that they can take away any failures that they previously had because it wasn't them it was the fact that they didn't yeah. know this new fasting around your cycle thing. And that's actually quite a common thing like that I'm reading a book on marketing at the moment and they're like, I'm like, not that book. It's something that is new because then people will like be like, oh, I'll try something that's new. It's different. And, and if you buy into the science of it, because you can completely misinterpret science and, and apply it to that so it's probably what they've done like oh at certain times of your cycle your insulin sensitivity changes that means you need to fast in this way or that way or blah 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 kind of negating the fact that over 50 percent of women are on some form of contraception if you're perimenopausal good luck tracking your cycle if even if you're not most women don't have the perfect 28 day cycle and within that, we're also estimating how long each phase is for a woman based on the norm, right? Which nobody will, you know, by like chance, a few people will completely be like in line with the norm, but most women won't, which means when you're like, oh, you're most insulin sensitive on day 14 or something, probably not true for the vast majority of people, even if you're tracking based on changes in temperature, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many inaccuracies that come into it that if you're just you know you're yeah you're just making things way more complicated than they need to be but but Ruth's right you'll probably get results initially because you've dropped calories which means you'll lose body fat and you might start feeling better but yeah okay um right next question um hello how do I convince my partner I've not suddenly developed an eating disorder just because I'm not eating portions like I used to or saying I won't have any biscuits, thanks. It's turning into, well, it's only a biscuit or you shouldn't be starving yourself. I've tried to explain everything is fine, but every time my partner sees me weighing something or tracking cows, it's just more evidence that what I'm doing is is disordered. I don't want it to be secretive and hidden, but I don't know how else to convince her. I have a history of disordered eating. My relationship with food is pretty good. I have no history of disordered eating, sorry. And my relationship with food is pretty good. Sorry for the long question. Thank you all. I think what's hard about this is it's the intent behind the behaviours that are disordered, not the behaviours themselves. So there's some that are like, you're kind of like, that's that's pretty disordered. Like if you're like weighing out cucumber or something. But for most things, like, you know, going for a walk every morning could be disordered if you're telling yourself, I can only eat breakfast if I've done this walk. And if you don't do the walk, then you don't feel worthy of eating any food or anything like that. Or it or it can be like a really empowering thing of I just like getting up in the morning and going out and that that sets me up nicely for the day. Kind of same with like weighing food and stuff. Like if if it freaks you out not to do it, it's potentially quite disordered. If you're like, oh, I just kind of need to know at the moment because I'm trying this new thing where I I want to know the caloric value-ish of the food I'm putting in my body so that I know that I'm going to be in a deficit and I want to learn about that, then it's different. I I would say if, if you feel restricted by it, then it's potentially disordered. If, if you don't, then it's not. And I, I would try and explain it to your partner, but also there's no need to always be weighing up food. But now and again, you might, you know, if you're, I think especially the the first little, like first couple of weeks on a diet, if this is something you've not done before, it's so eye-opening to be like, oh, that's a portion of granola because that was not what I was eating. <laughs> like, you know. And that's the thing, because we are quite early on in like commit to 42. And it could be that she is being like, hasn't, had any pup yes things and her partner's never not seen her eat anything that would be considered a pup yes or a treat um and I guess it would be making sure that you are having those things occasionally 
so that you're still taking part in going out and having fun together or eating together that you're not perfect all the time so maybe have a think about whether you're trying to be perfect in this situation and whether there is some room for a mm. cake out yeah or, I mean, or whatever you want like you yeah. know you don't to to like prove to your partner something but I would maybe and I know that like I know that most conversations like this kind of go oh isn't that a bit obsessive and you're like no it's not obsessive and then it's just like nitpicking at each other if you actually kind of sat down and had a conversation you're like this is what I'm trying to do this is why I'm doing it I just like to know what what's in food I'm not going to do it forever I'm just going to learn for a little bit do you want to do it with me like kind of open it up or I don't know if she's got goals they don't have to be fat loss goals you know back to what Andy was saying about like this being lifelong stuff right at the start of that if you want to maintain these results you're going to have to have a healthy diet for the rest of your life certainly don't have to weigh food for the rest of your life but yeah Mm -hmm. and it could also be maybe your partner's own because this is often like a projection of if I was weighing food I would feel like this or when I tried to track calories it was really disordered for me thus when when people see other people and when you extrapolate this out and you look at kind of people on social media who I don't know might claim that all tracking calories is disordered it's normally because when they did it they had a really bad experience and it was disordered for them and like that's sad but it's not the way for everybody and and like actually put my hands up to I've never liked tracking calories it feels really restricted to me so I don't do that but I don't project my own experiences I've worked with thousands of women that are like oh no I find it really freeing and actually I quite enjoy it and I don't mind doing it okay cool just because I find it restrictive doesn't mean that that somebody else does yeah yes agreed um there's a technical question about okay it says it might be an Andy one but it said just curious and want to improve my knowledge but what is the mechanical difference between an inclined dumbbell chest press and the flat dumbbell chest press slight change of angle on the pec on where it's working so incline will sort of probably um, target a little bit more upper chest uh, flat will be sort of through the middle but it's sometimes it's nice just to have a bit of a change a change of pace and also I actually I'm not a massive fan of flat pressing um, I prefer an incline press just because of the way my, currently because of a niggle on my shoulder I'm, I find flat pressing really difficult um, just because of the angle that I'm lying in and where I need to try to get my shoulder around to um, whereas an incline press alleviates the issue on the shoulder um, so yeah that's basically the, the sort of the difference okay next question oh claire did answer this for me did answer this for me specifically on hip thrust but i have a more general question on engaging my glutes i am a very quad reliant and i find that my quads will often do the work when it should be my glutes do you have any tips for really engaging the glutes on the lower body days and also any specific exercises where it cannot be anything else but the glutes that do the work thanks i wonder if she's be very difficult to find a, an exercise that specifically only targets glutes because your muscles all tie in together. So your glutes and your hamstrings all join up, your lower back joins in through them. So it's very difficult. Um, you could always look at doing some sort of things like some pre-fatigue work. So like hip thr- like um, pelvic bridges. Pelvic bridges are a good one to get your glutes fired up. But I'll also as well, like little simple um it's little simple um, positional patterns like in a hip and a pelvic bridge, which is the, the one without a barbell. So don't you could do it with a barbell, but it's much harder. Um, if you do a pelvic bridge lift up, and at the same time, as if you're trying to statically put like pull your feet into the floor, as if you're trying to drag your heels towards your bum, but you're not actually moving, it's just like a static drag. You'll find that your glutes will fire up harder just because of the way that you're you're engaging and pulling through your heels. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is a lot of it is about being able to engage the muscle yourself. So if you can squeeze your glutes in a certain exercise, make sure you do that in an exercise as well so at the top of a squat squeeze your glutes 
most people will push their hips through. So they'll actually push their hips through the bar or through in a squat, which means you're bending up, putting the, the weight on your lower back and it comes off your glutes. So it's just squeeze your glutes, basically. It's it's about engaging thing, engaging the muscle um, and then finding the, the exercises that you don't overshadow with your quads, basically. I yeah I was going to say if you some people struggle with the even feeling of engaging the glutes and I kind of would like at the at the top of a squat you could even think about keeping your feet where they are but turning the knees out in like that corkscrew effect so you're like trying to screw your feet into the ground without moving them as your knees come out you'll feel your glutes engage you can do it with a band you can put a band around your knees to help you with pushing out and the other thing I quite like doing is putting in like you said with the pelvic tilt it's like putting in that hold but holding it so that you feel it so holding for 10 seconds before going into the reps so that you're getting that real kind of feeling of your glutes firing and then you're going through the range of reps i quite like doing those types of things lateral walks and are quite good as well yeah, i for think getting... walks, like you yeah. really feel that in your glutes and once you can feel them a bit like burning a little bit it is easier to then recruit them a little bit more um, but it's a it's also a really good example of there isn't like a perfect exercise or exact way of doing an exercise for everyone because everyone has different lever lengths and and you'll get some people that squat and are really quad dominant and other people that squat and are more glute dominant partly because of the way they're built um, and and actually as Andy was saying like that was partly to do with injury but. There's certain exercises like I quite like an incline press because I kind of just feel it in my chest more than than a flat sometimes. And yeah. and it might not actually be anything to do with it being a quote unquote better or worse exercise for anything. It might just be like, I really feel that. Like I used to hate um body weight dips. I just never felt them in the right places. And now I do them with a slightly narrower stance um or like grip then I really feel them in my triceps, but but it might look slightly different than how somebody else would do it. Yeah, it's not. there's no better or worse exercises. It's actually what's better or worse for you as as, as, a, as an individual. And you just need to find which which exercises that you recruit the most muscle or the most the majority of the muscle with. It's always going to be the, you know, none of us are, none of us are built exactly the same so we're all going to have slightly different um we're all going to have slightly different um uh, experiences with different exercises so it's about finding the ones that work for you yeah yep um perfect uh next question it says i know you post and talk a lot about creatine but does adding it to a scoop to boiling water change the makeup of it i've been adding it to my hot squash in the mornings i bloody love hot squash and then it dawned on me that might be burning it or something lol thanks and then somebody said underneath that they have the same question because they add it to their first hot drink of the day mm. um i actually just recommend that you don't do you know like because i i don't fully know the answer i think i looked it up once and it, it wasn't that conclusive to me I think it is probably fine, but I'm also like, why? Like just, I would put a very small amount of water in it, swirl it up, shot it down, and then enjoy your hot squash or tea or whatever separately. Make it uh, taste nice. Okay. Everyone's just like, why? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I could get why, but I'm like, if there's even just a, when things yeah. are potentially impacting but there's really not that much effort to just change it. Then I'm just like, why? Like, for example, I always take my supplements in the evening because there's some small amount of research that shows that if you take high dose antioxidants, so things like multivitamins, et cetera, right after your workout, it mitigates some of the benefits of exercise or some of the signaling to adapt to that exercise. Will that have a big impact? Absolutely not. Like if you're like, oh my God, I've been taking vitamin C just before I train. Like it, it will not make that much difference. But the fact that it literally also makes no difference to my life to take it in the evening, which is far away from when I train in the morning. Why not do it? You know, and, and same with creatine. It's like, could you take it in, in hot water? Like it, it's probably fine, but like, just don't. I thought that was going to be the end of your answer. Just no. Don't. <laughs> well, like, I don't know. Like, I'm, yeah. I, all I would be doing is, is Googling it. Yeah. 
Um, That's but- about, that would have been an even better answer. Can you Google it? <laughs> Just Google it. Uh, no. The other no. one I always get. Like, the- there is some thought that it um interacts with caffeine as well so it's like we'll just just take it slightly different time hmm. which is strange because there's so many supplements that have creatine and caffeine in them at the same time isn't it so- well i think now now they found it's like additive but i think sometimes you don't yeah i think that was that was the outcome of that i read into it once and i can't really remember but i think if you're taking it depends why you're taking it really like if you're taking it primarily for the long-term health benefits and cognitive function and healthy aging then probably doesn't make that much difference um here you go here's a question a different sort of question um hello i listened to a podcast with james clear where he talked about curating your community i think he started an online group of authors and substackers it reminded me of commit 42 how important do you think it is that we surround ourselves with like-minded women sorry andy um i have no other socials except linkedin i think it makes a huge difference i think sometimes it's quite subtle as well like you don't realize that there's other people around you kind of breaking your own glass ceilings or creating social norms. Like one of the reasons that say, for example, giving up drinking, if you work in tech and live in central London is really hard is because it is the social norm of that industry to go out on a Thursday. And, and if you don't do that, you're the odd one out. Right. Whereas imagine how easy it would be to give up drinking. If you, I don't know, live online in- coach, well, yeah, but or, or you like lived in a country where actually people don't really drink and it, it's like not the social norm to drink. Be a hell of a lot easier to do that, right? Or how much easier it probably was for people to give up smoking when they created an environment where you actually had to go outside now. You can't just smoke in inside when, you know, things like that. Like little barriers make a big difference, but also social norms make a huge difference. And I, I, I see that massively with surrounding yourself with the right people. It's definitely like, in my opinion, it's the easiest way to level up is to surround yourself with people that are on the same journey, doing the same things, even that are like a few steps ahead of you. The impacts like, for example, with AFM of other people in the group and just surrounding yourself with other people taking action and it being the norm that, you know, what people have imposter syndrome, do it anyway. People are a little bit scared and do it anyway. They're pushing themselves outside their comfort zone. That just makes such a big difference and it rubs off on you in ways that, I don't think people fully notice because it is quite subtle. But even listening, like she said, she's listening to that podcast with James Clear. I find that just immersing yourself in everything surrounding what you want to do and what you want to be. So like listening to all of the things that the people doing what you want to do. So even if you're not necessarily in that community, as well as being in a community of like-minded people, but also just listening to them talk. So when people are checking in I'll ask them to listen to podcasts that you've done because I know that if away from checking they're listening to more things that are related to their goals they're they've just got it going on in their head and of more often yeah it's it's quite an interesting one sorry go ahead Andy it's quite interesting because it works the opposite way as well like you can see the difference in you when you surround yourself with people who are like potentially negative influences on you like you see that straight away so of course it's going to work the opposite way as well if you surround yourself with positive like-minded people you're going to be more positive and more driven to get stuff done because you see the same in the other people that you surround yourself with so Uh, i think i pulled out these stats when i did the podcast on commit 42 about community but they always blow my mind like the impact of not just like your immediate community but like friends of friends on you like the impact of bmi is something like you're you're more likely to be overweight if a friend of a friend is overweight because of the impact on behaviors and you're more likely to be happy as andy's saying works both ways if a friend of a friend is happy like it's mad but like these things do like impact you and, and if you know that your current environment is, I don't know, people, this is why I'm so like anti-average because when you look at what average is and it's overweight and it's unhappy and it's people in debt and like, if you don't want that, then you can't act like the average person, which means actually surrounding yourself with people who also aren't acting that way 
it is really helpful and you don't kind of want to like blend into those social norms just because it's what's quote unquote normal if you don't want normal results yeah um all right Ruth I know you've got a call in three minutes do you want to do one more and then I will go okay um I've allowed myself to have three treats slash unhealthy things a week. It could be cake, chips, for example. I'm finding that I'm not always hungry in between meals, so to fit in a cake makes me so stuffed. I know it seems silly that I'm trying to fit these things in, but I eat really healthy the rest of the time. Would you say that I should have less on my meal? Once or twice, I've replaced my lunch with a cake or pudding, but no, this isn't a good habit. Sometimes I just think why have extra food calories i struggled before with all the the all or nothing mentality so i want don't want to totally cut out unhealthy foods as that will inevitably cause me to binge on them again i mean i wouldn't i'd say if you don't want it and you're not hungry don't have it yeah and, and, don't and then do do have it another time yeah yeah I, like would I would say this and, and it is that there's a lot of psychology in this of like yeah you can have it, it doesn't mean that you have to or that like you have to have chips once a week because that's what's quote unquote healthy it's like it's more your mindset around it and if you're like oh I feel much better eating like this and cutting out most of my ultra processed foods and not having as much chocolate it's not a problem I definitely wouldn't force it in there but I also don't like the wording of I have three or four unhealthy food because I don't think anything is healthy or like inherently healthy or unhealthy, right? There are mm. healthier choices, but you're looking at your diet as a whole. And then there's also like the psychological health and your physical health of, you know, you want to have a bit of both and that flexibility, but I certainly wouldn't force myself to eat some crisps or something because I wouldn't replace my, I'd go meals first always meals that I wouldn't replace the meals with your pudding because you, that's just not going to give you as much energy like as much energy and nutrients and maybe so I would give size of your your pudding you could be like yeah do you know what I've, I've started having pudding three four nights a week but I have half a mince pie because it's all I really wanted as opposed to the full one because then I'm completely stuffed and I feel pretty lethargic mm. All right, thank you both so much for your brains. And um, we'll be back. Will you know where we got to? We'll be back to- I'm just doing that now. Yeah. All right. And if anyone watched on uh, Facebook, hello. And also goodbye.